0: So a couple of weeks ago, it's probably about 10 days ago, uh, they said you can use any, um, within reason, any video connection. I kind of giggled because they, in the actual legislation it says, but don't use TikTok. (laughs) I thought, okay, (laughs) when really, (laughs) this is new time for us if I'm not gonna send a video to my patient of me doing some silly dance on TikTok.
1: I'm Siddha Yarlaganda,
2: and I'm an internist at the Houston VA. I'm Jay Jennings, and my background is in public health with an emphasis on quality improvement. We wanted to bring you a real time podcast on telehealth implementation. This podcast is sponsored by the VA Quality Scholars and the Baylor Institute for Quality Improvement and Patient Safety.
1: Today, we have Dr. Jan Lindsay, who is a clinical psychologist and an expert in telehealth mental health implementation across VA. We'll let Jan go ahead and introduce herself, and we'll jump right in.
0: So, I'm Jan Lindsay, and I'm a psychologist by training. Um, but I've been doing health services research um, for the past several years, looking at um, how we can be using health technologies, telehealth, uh, web and mobile apps uh, to increase access to care for mental health, but also um, other uh, behavioral health uh, interventions as well.
2: So, Jan, what constitutes telehealth exactly?
0: So, that's a great question. I think of telehealth as a synchronous video uh, with audio. Um, Other people have a more broad definition. So, they include telephone based care. Uh, They include what's called asynchronous telehealth. So, if you have an assessment and then somebody comes in later to review that assessment, um, you know, things like teledermatology, where we're sending pictures. Um, But I think really uh, the Lately, especially in response to covid nineteen uh, is the synchronous video connection uh, with patients from either from a provider or clinician's home to their home or from a large medical center to the patient's home. in the past, we've done a lot of clinic to clinic work, which is really just expanding the workforce. Um, but since it was approved, uh, you know some certainly within the VA but other medical centers um, are now reimbursing for in-home care. I just think it really reduces a lot more barriers than, than asking somebody to come into a clinic, if at all possible. And certainly with mental health, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot easier than, than other kind of medical interventions.
1: Sure. So I think a lot of people are a little bit confused about what their actual regulations are. A lot of things have changed. And especially with COVID now, what are the changes and has it made telehealth a lot easier for providers?
0: So uh, a couple of weeks ago, HHS and CMS released a HIPAA waiver. I mean, this is something I never thought I would see in my professional uh, career. Um, and just in response to people do not need to be coming into the clinic when they don't and also to protect uh Providers and clinicians, Um, and what that meant for telehealth is that it expanded options for what kind of video connection you can be using. Um, In the past, you had to have HIPAA compliant, which is is about secure kind of end to end encryption. Um, But it also includes these business agreements um, and and these other layers that that maybe aren't what we always think about as strong secure encryption. So, for example, FaceTime has a and again, I'm, I'm a psychologist and a, and a researcher. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my understanding. Um, So something like FaceTime is a secure end-to-end encryption. But Apple didn't join into this business agreement. So what it now allows us to do is really be creative and say, okay, within the VA and and within Baylor and with other medical centers, they have a paid contract with some of these video companies. So some popular ones are Zoom for Healthcare. Uh, We use the Citrix product within VA, Uh, Video, uh, VC. And so these are all uh, companies that can ensure HIPAA. Compliance. So a couple of weeks ago, it's probably about ten days ago, uh, they said you can use any um, within reason any video connection. I kind of giggled because they in the actual legislation it says, and, but don't use TikTok. <laughs> and I thought, okay, <laughs> when really <laughs> this is new time for us. If I'm not going to send a video to my patient of me doing some silly dance on TikTok, but um, the point is, is that they're really allowing clinicians to use um, more. Uh, public-facing things like FaceTime, Zoom, others.
1: So if you have no telehealth infrastructure, at this point, it's not unethical to use Zoom.
0: Right, it is not. I think what you want to do, though, is, all, as we always want to do, is tell your patients and say, typically when you do this, especially because patients are new for, to this and clinicians are new, I've been doing this for a decade and this, and you still want to really inform patients about the limits of privacy. But my argument is always, if we're so comfortable using telephone, that's that's not really a secure connection. Um, and so we we just want to say, You know, this is a place where I can lock the the clinic room. So, for example, um, in Zoom, you can see who's joined the room. You can invite people in. You can say, um, but, you know, actually, in my experience, the privacy issues are really about telling patients uh, when you do this um, visit, please make sure you have your own privacy. So there's been times where I've been, you know, treating a veteran for PTSD and uh, one of their family members walks in the background. And so you say, Oh, wait a minute. You know, when we talk about the security, that also means within your home, you got to set up a uh, safe and private space for you, for you to have this visit.
1: So going back onto this HIPAA compliance, is there like a form they fill out or where is it just a blanket statement from HHS and CMS?
2: Yeah, so like can any clinician just go ahead and do telehealth now or is it like mm-hmm. do you have to be specifically certified or something?
0: No, I mean that's, <laughs> these are all really good questions um, and I, I, I can share, I think we can upload maybe the HHS um, release. Uh, Certainly, we have interpreted, and I think you always want to talk to, if you're working in a large healthcare system, and say, are there products that we're recommending, Um, so we're trying to help within the VA, this large medical system, to say, um, you know, let's not have a total free-for-all, because again, your, your phone number, your email, your private personal email and phone number will be attached to, for example, a FaceTime. Or, so we're trying to say, maybe do a dummy email. So these are just some things, again, I'm not, <laughs> we're, we're just all trying to, you know, um, fly, the, fly the plane as we're building it um, and, and say, you know, create a dummy email so that, you know, maybe your professional name with your clinic at gmail.com, for example, and then that will pop up. So your patient knows it's you. Um, and then, but also to be sure that that email, if their patient says, oh, I see that on my, on my FaceTime, that you can be clear and put a, disc- a disclaimer there that said, this is not a monitored email. This is an email that I've used to create. Again, just, um, just try to s- protect expectations as much as possible. But I will say we've been doing telephone based care for a long, long time. I did grand rounds at Baylor a couple of years ago. And I was just really loving the, um, the increased access to care that the video to home was doing and learning a lot about my patients who maybe they had panic disorder and they were afraid to leave the home. Um, maybe they had experienced military sexual trauma and they didn't want to come to the VA. Um, and so I was just really, and this older, I mean, I'm, I'm, he must've been in his nineties he's, he reached out to me when I was walking out and he said, honey, I know you think you're being so cute, but we've been doing telephone based care for as long as I've been doing care. So it reminds me that this is just, an added element that we can see each other, which is just a much more intimate experience.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll definitely include the link to the, um, the form, the HIPAA compliant form, whenever we release this podcast.
0: Great, great. And I can also share some language about maybe the out-of-office um, email that you, that you put or a, in a response in case um, for, to, for that dummy email. But you may have a professional email account that you feel comfortable uh, with your patients um, using, but I just think we need to really think through all these layers.
1: Yeah, no,
2: that's really some great advice. Thanks a lot, Jen. Mm-hmm. I agree. So who can actually practice telehealth, Jen? Can it, does it have to have a physician involved? Can it be a nurse just doing it? What does it can a social worker do it?
0: So I think a a licensed clinician, um, again, I'm not, I mean, I'm not an attorney. I'm just, (laughs) I'm trying to share at least the information that I know. And and certainly working in a large healthcare system, you you get some protections. And so I'd always recommend talking to your supervisor, talking to you. But if you're an individual clinician, there are um, organizations, American Telemedicine Association, your individual. So I'm a psychologist and the APA has been releasing a lot of guidance. And so I think my opinion now during this COVID crisis is if you're going to call a patient, um, why not elevate that phone call? Why not elevate that and add a video component when possible, when people are comfortable? Um, And so I think, you know, if you were to ask me six months ago, I wouldn't be quite as, as, you know, there's huge processes, make sure you have a HIPAA compliant software platform, blah, 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 consent. But now that we're moving really from, providers not being in the clinic, patients not being in the clinic, I worry about the lack of connection. And when people are isolated for many months, they, and we're, when we talk to veterans, so all of our projects, our grants include a qualitative component. So we talk to veterans and we ask them, how important is it that you see your um, provider, your clinician? Because many times the clinician will say, just let me pick up the phone. That's what I've been doing forever. And we're really encouraging them. And they're telling us things like, I feel, I know they're listening to me. I know I can see their reaction to things. They can see where I live. I, it's as if I'm inviting them into my home and I feel safe here. I can show them my dog or, um, you know, if, if we have questions about medication, we can walk with the patient into their um, their medicine cabinet. So just things that we didn't always know a couple of years ago that, that were going to be so beneficial. So I would encourage people to just... Use it. Thinking about it as an elevated phone call right now, instead of replicating in-person care, which is ideal. But at this in this crisis, maybe elevated phone calls are going to be good. And many people are staying connected to their families this way. This, you know, I'm certainly looking at you all right now. I know that we're not going to, you know, it's just going to be an audio. But it's really nice to 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 be able to engage this way.
1: Sure. I think a lot of small clinics are kind of dealing with this. A reimbursement issue. I think back in, you know, it, it's not the same as getting reimbursed for an in-person visit. Has that changed?
0: It has. And again, um, I think maybe posting all the information because I'd hate to, to be giving um, bad information out now, but Medicare and Medicaid have said, you know, we will now reimburse this as, the, as an in-person visit. Um, it used to be if you're rural and older, there were criteria. Um, and it's just, it's much more open. I think people are really trying to encourage the use of these platforms. So I think it's it's always good talk to um, talk to the people in your in your organization, um, and then I'll you know we'll share the guidance to see if if there's uh, more detailed information that would be helpful.
1: Sure. Some of the um, the issues that are going to come up are definitely post hospitalizations, and a lot of these visits were often nurse visits. Is there any guidance from CMS on sort of reimbursements for nurse post-hospital visits, or are you not sure?
0: Well, I think that we can share some links so that people can explore. I guess I can't emphasize enough about how things have changed in the last few weeks. So before, it really wasn't. Um, It was dependent on your insurance, depending on a lot of the billing codes. Um, But I think now we're thinking about post-hospitalization safety, right? So if somebody, we're doing a study right now in New Orleans, where uh, we're trying to avoid patients and providers, even if they're in the same hospital, you know, we call it virtual PPE. So, um, you know, you're reducing the, the amount of PPE used, but also maintaining that connection. So I think that, you know, a lot of the telehealth early on was done with exactly what you're talking about. So it is like post-hospitalization, when you're not really getting, it's not super reimbursable, you're getting the, the cost of the surgery and then whatever you're doing post. And so as much contact as you can have, you're not billing for that anyway. Um, and so I do think it's just, you've got to explore that, um, you know, whether, whether it's feasible. But I just don't know. Some cities, it, it, you, they're just not able to come in and it's not safe for either the clinician or the patient.
1: So I have a, one more question on reimbursement. Is any of this at the state level or all of this comes directly from CMS federal level?
0: Yeah. And so once again, I'm a psychologist researcher, but I do. Um, I think a lot of these organizations, American Telemedicine Association in particular, been at, and HIMSS is another group, have um, been advocating at the federal level. So things like DOD, VA, where I work, um, but also um, you know, some state level, uh, they're making common sense decisions now at the state level to say, uh, you know, this is as good as, and has the research, which is really my passion is showing that this is as good as, so we've done non-inferiority uh, studies. We've done randomized control trials to say this is as good as in-person care, certainly for mental health. Um, but we're also talking to people to say it's as good as effective, wise. Um, you know the the effectiveness, not necessarily because uh, we've moved away from randomized controlled trials because we want to encourage choice and people who want to come in should come in. Want people stay home, um, and so I think that that data is finally getting to the people who are making decisions about reimbursement and saying, okay, if we save time and we say, you know, keep people in their jobs and get, you know, reducing childcare um, that it's finally getting to that level. And this is absolutely the tipping point right now. I mean, it, you know, this is, this is a real game changer for telehealth.
2: It kind of reminds me how during Hurricane Harvey, uh, telehealth kind of skyrocketed because of a crisis, so it seemed to take a crisis to get telehealth off the ground.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and actually some of our, the people who really were reluctant to use it, um, you know, it was something that they really had to get used to are continuing to use it and are some of our kind of bigger, biggest champions, and so I do think that this this is going to be a game changer. My concern, though, is that people will go to just telephone care, and we're going to lose the intimacy that happens in in this um, back and forth although I think all of us are using zoom and Skype and other you know Google hangouts and all day every day the other good thing is you can use it with groups now Um, I mean it's it's a little clunky when you do many many people um, but you know if you have the if you have the right training and you're you know if a psycho ed group you can do more people but a process group a little smaller so there's there's a lot of opportunities
2: so, is there technical infrastructure available for patients as well, so like Zoom, you said, is there any other apps or something that they have to download on their phone or on laptops
0: sure um i so the things that we're exploring um are uh GroupMe, i mean I'm sorry, Google Hangouts for groups skype, zoom um and then there are some other free platforms um Actually, and I wouldn't recommend this, but this was on the list, was FaceTime messenger video. I'm not going to recommend that. It's a little too deep in the weeds of our kind of personal life. Um, And I think just – but but really prioritizing the HIPAA compliant software because this HIPAA waiver isn't going to be forever. So I would recommend somebody who's really starting to turn their practice around is explore some of the HIPAA compliant secure platforms. But in a pinch, I would try to think about, um, you know, adding a FaceTime uh, video to a call, uh, exploring Zoom, certainly those things, but I would definitely prioritize a HIPAA compliant uh, platform Their their um, for the long term?
1: Um, I think a lot of our veterans, a lot of patients, they don't have internet access and that's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. You see it with schools, you see like 14% of children don't have internet access for school and I'm sure that's much higher for the elderly, the rural population. Do you have any tips for getting internet access for them?
0: Yeah. So the tips that I used to use are probably not so great right now. So we used to, uh, we did a lot of car therapy. So uh, recommending, because it wasn't just, because um, you could also use, if they don't have Wi-Fi, you can also use their cellular uh, network. Uh, so not everybody has a, an endless, you know, or an unlimited data plan. But especially with veterans, we have a couple of companies. Um, I don't want to necessarily promote, but T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon—they uh, do free data plans for veterans calling for their um, uh, for for their appointments. I think the FCC's done a great job. I mean, they have a lot of work to do to kind of reduce the health inequities. I got into telehealth and you know, tech-based care because I thought it would reduce. Reduce health inequities and it really is frustrating to see that uh, the people who need it maybe can't access it So we did a lot of because if you think about the in it's the link that's secure So this end-to-end encryption, it doesn't matter what Wi-Fi network you're joining again. I'm not an IT person I'm not an attorney. So I hope nobody um, But now that people are really sheltering in place it's tr- It's tricky, you have to get creative, you can't ask somebody, so we would sometimes say, Do you have a friend or family member that you can have some private space? Can you go to a library and check out a room? Um, can you uh, again, the most popular thing was really this car therapy where they would drive up and log on to s- Starbucks and mcdonald's and um but that's not as as accessible now.
1: You started the original drive through church, Jan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We all need the pray. We need as many prayers as we can get, don't we? Yeah. Um,
1: so a lot of people are new to telehealth and are there any facilitation guides online or is there any yeah. information we can give people?
0: Yeah, there are a lot of good. Um, there, there's actually APA for those people who are in mental health. They're doing a free telepsychology 101, um, a lot of the primary care. Um, so there are there's an abundance of material I find it a little overwhelming though to start something new without um so our team does this it's it's kind of an implementation approach about a facilitation, which is really just helping people along. So I would recommend certainly get some pointers, and we can share some links here. American again, te, American Telemedicine Association, APA, the psychiatrist, psychologist, because I think mental health has been happening longer. Um, but I'd practice with friends. There, it's really not that different than doing. I mean, I, I've been doing virtual happy hours, and you know, learning about Zoom this way, um, and then just you know, talking to your colleagues and thinking um you know what what clothes am i wearing that isn't going to take up a lot of like uh, you know uh, visual things what's the lighting like um i do think when you're doing one-on-one the the technology does start to fall away um and i think that you practicing it more doing it you know more of a social thing and doing it with colleagues is is helpful but there are plenty of how-to
2: guides out there that are good So as someone who's been doing this for over 10 years now, I think, right? Um, Do you have any triaging tips or like things that clinicians can know going into it? So I think knowing
0: this is a mode of delivery. It is not an intervention. So I my background is in addiction treatment. So I feel much more comfortable doing clinical care with somebody with a substance use disorder. Other people who maybe are not as familiar with how to treat substance use disorders would be saying, I'm going to rule out um, anybody who I think might be um, intoxicated. Um, And I'm just glad they're not on the road. And so you really have to know where your comfort is clinically, where do you feel? So another example is um, when we first started to do this, mostly to get clinician buy-in, we said, okay, you know, suicide, um, uh, suicidality, homicidality, um, uh, you know, uh, aggressive behavior, those are things that if you don't feel comfortable, you can roll out. But where are, those, where are those people going for help? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't, so then we got some experts in that area to really say, we're gonna use this tool to increase access to our expertise, so um, you know, veterans and patients who are suicidal—if this is the only way to get them—I think we should meet them where they are. There are other kind of disorders, uh, mental health uh, conditions that make this um, just so: uh, panic disorder, agoraphobia, PTSD, um, hoarding. So there are conditions. Um, that really this is the only way to do that first step in. And then we encourage people, of course, to come in to see us as they feel more and more comfortable. But if we're not meeting them where they are, we're missing them altogether.
1: Sure, that makes sense. You know, I'm an internist and I think this is almost like a very different platform for a lot of us. And I think we have a lot of nurse triage in the beginning and I think we're probably gonna lose a lot of that. So I think that was some really good advice to maybe make a triage plan before you even start the visit just to make sure no one's high risk, you know? Oh,
0: yeah. No, and I think, and I should have emphasized this at the very beginning, it's super important to both you and the patient to review in your initial consent. So you say, I need to know where you are physically. I need you to give me that address and I'm going to do, so you, fi- you, you write in the note, your clinic note. This patient agreed to telehealth. This patient is at this physical address these are this is nine one one this is because you can't call nine one one you don 't know where they are you know so you need to really so that's really important um, but also having like if we lose our if we lose our connection i'm going to use the phone. Um, And and if there's somebody in your home while the visit is going, can you please share their contact information? Because if, you know, if you're on this, this has never happened, but if you're on the phone and somebody has a medical emergency, you want to be able to call the person, their spouse, partner, friend who is in the house with them. Um, and it's so cruise uh, and you all do this much better in medicine. Is this idea of uh, the team, sign, you know, the team approach, where um, you have multiple people who are uh, providing care for this patient, who you can contact, and it it shouldn't just be, yeah.
1: No, thanks a lot for all those great tips, Jan. Um, it looks like you're doing a lot of great work in telehealth, and hopefully, you know, in this crisis. It'll do at least good for the telehealth movement, give more access to people who, you know, didn't have traditional access to medicine. But thanks, thanks a lot for all the great tips.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that we should think about this as an extension of care. And right now, we really need to be flexible and creative about connecting with patients. Um, and I think really seeing other people is going to get more and more important as people are being more and more isolated and alone and the loneliness. And um, and and so I think we should just all be as flexible and creative as we can be.
1: For more information, please contact facts.va.gov. at va.gov. That's V-A-Q-S at va.gov. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the author's own and do not reflect the views of Baylor College of Medicine, the Department of Veteran Affairs, or the United States government. Please stay tuned for the next episode.